Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. I'm Lee Legault, ministerial intern here, and I have with me as my lay leader, George Garcia. I'm so glad each of you came this morning. We come from a long tradition of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in everyone. And one of the ways we greet the divine on Sunday morning is turning and welcoming the people around us. Please say with me the words by which we light our chalice, symbol of our faith. The words are printed in your order of service. As we light the chalice, may our souls become its hearth. May join our heart one great flame, bright compassion, a loved community, and fervent justice. May our sparks become a wildfire, lighting the way for all. Our call to worship is by Professor Dumbledore, who, as many of you know, is Hogwarts headmaster in J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series. The words are taken from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. When Harry fears that he and Lord Voldemort may be alike in some ways, and Harry wonders whether he too may become an evil wizard, Professor Dumbledore tells him, It is our choices that show us what we truly are, far more than our abilities. As Unitarian Universalism is a faith without creed, we don't have a set of required beliefs of which we must all agree on a scribe. Instead, we draw from all the world's religions, finding wisdom from many sources. People have asked what holds us together if it's not a set of agreed-on beliefs. Well, one of the things that unites us at this church is our mission. And our mission statement, printed in your order of service, expresses this congregation's common purpose. The community says it together each Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. If you'd like to know more about what we mean when we say beloved community, there's a poster in the fellowship hall with some words from the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Center explaining his wisdom, his vision of the beloved community. Our meditation reading is also by Professor Dumbledore. This time it's from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. I say to you all once again, in the light of Lord Voldemort's return, we're only as strong as we are united, as weak as we are divided. Lord, Vold Lord Voldemort's gift for spreading discord and enmity is very great. We can fight only by showing an equally strong bond of friendship and trust. Differences of habit and language are nothing at all if our aims are identical and our hearts are open. It is my belief, and never have I so hoped that I am mistaken, that we're all facing dark and difficult times. Some of you in this hall have already suffered in the hands of Lord Voldemort. Many of your families have been torn asunder. A week ago, a student was taken from our midst. Remember that student. Remember 
If a time should come when you have to make a choice between what is right and what is easy, remember what happened to a boy who was good and kind and brave because he strayed across the path of Lord Voldemort. Remember him. This is the time in our service when we breathe together. And breathing together, feel the loving presence of those around us. We follow our breath to that deeper place inside, the place of greater wisdom, that spark of the divine in each of us. Breathing together, we enter a time of sacred silence, remembering that in this congregation, especially on intergenerational Sundays, human sounds and the sounds of children are part of the sacred silence. Let us enter into that silence together.
I'm going to just say right up front that I'm excited. This is crossing an item off my bucket list. I'm standing here at the pulpit. I'm in a wizarding robe. I got a wand in my pocket. In our non-creedal faith, we're free to draw from many sources. Today, we focus on our second UU source, words and deeds of prophetic people which challenge us to confront powers and structures of evil with the with justice, compassion, and the transforming power of love. Specifically, we're going to focus on the prophetic power of youth and the ways in which older people use their power relationally to support young people or positionally often to diminish them. The Harry Potter book series by J.K. Rowling provides the perfect hermeneutic or lens for this analysis. Beginning in 1998, when the first Harry Potter book was published in the U.S., the epic has cast a spell over me, and I'm not alone. The Harry Potter books have sold over 500 million copies, making it the single largest selling series of all time and they've been translated into over 80 languages. There is indeed something universally prophetic and compelling about the wizarding world of Harry Potter. The novels chronicle the lives of young orphaned Harry Potter and his steadfast friends, Hermione Granger and Ron Weasley. They begin boarding school together at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry when they're 11 and there is one book for each of their seven years at that school. Hogwarts is a wondrous place. Let me show you a trailer from the fourth movie, The Goblet of Fire, which depicts now 14-year-old Harry's dangerous adventures in the Triwizard Tournament. This book and movie mark kind of a tipping point, I think, in the series, where the action gets a lot more intense and the stakes get higher. The main story arc in the series concerns Harry's struggle against a powerful dark wizard, Lord Voldemort. So powerful, so awful, that most fear to say his name and instead refer to him as he who must not be named. I'm going to go ahead and call him Voldemort. Voldemort intends to A, become immortal, B, overthrow the wizarding governing body known as the Ministry of Magic, and C, subjugate all wizards, witches, and muggles, which are people without magic. Now, Voldemort easily deceives and outmaneuvers the adult witches and wizards at the Ministry of Magic. Those Ministry of Magic folks have a lot of positional power because they can make all the laws and the policies in the wizarding world, but they're pretty much behind the eight ball on almost everything that actually happens. They usually mistake Harry and his friends for culprits instead of heroes, and they refuse to believe Harry, Ron, and Hermione when they insist and prophecy that Lord Voldemort's strength is returning. The adults at the Ministry of Magic, they're using positional power, meaning that they depend on superior certain circumstance, such as age, authority, rank, or status to force people to obey them and to keep those who disagree with them in line. 
But fortunately, the young people at Hogwarts have, are empowered by an adult ally who is Voldemort's equal in wizarding skill and his opposite in temperament and ambition. And that's the powerful and benevolent Dumbledore, the guy on the screen with the super long gray beard. There's two of him in the movie series. We don't talk about it. We don't ask any questions. It's not okay, but we just deal with it. Now, unlike the adults at the Ministry of Magic, Dumbledore believes in and empowers and listens to Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Dumbledore has positional authority since he's the headmaster of Hogwarts, but he prefers to exercise relational power. Relational power is influence that one person has over another because of a personal connection and trust that that person has built with another over time. Persons who exercise relational power characteristically allow others allow themselves to be influenced by others who hold less positional power than they do. A good example of Professor Dumbledore wielding relational power by accepting influence from someone who has less positional power than himself happens in the Goblet of Fire, when Dumbledore becomes an early adopter of a social justice movement started by Hogwarts student Hermione Granger. Now, Hermione comes to realize that the magical society she's a part of depends on the unpaid labor of house elves. The elves stay out of sight, and they do manual labor from the shadows. Hermione discovers disturbingly that her beloved school, Hogwarts, is in fact the single largest user of house elf workers. The house elves do all the cooking and all the cleaning at Hogwarts for free with no vacation time, with no promise of retirement benefits or a pension. Now, witches and wizards apparently had been telling themselves for generations and generations that house elves were lucky to get to serve them and that they enjoyed working for no money and no appreciation and no other form of recompense. But Hermione, she's having none of that. She briefly goes on a hunger strike and then she organizes the Society for the Promotion of Elvish Welfare, or S-P-E-W for short, although it's not that short. Her social justice campaign rubs almost everyone the wrong way, including the house elves themselves at first. And Harry and Ron insist on referring to her organization as SPEW, other than S-P-E-W, joking that it's a vomit-worthy idea. Nevertheless, Hermione persists, and she finds an ally in Professor Dumbledore, who listens to her concerns and takes the unprecedented step of offering paying jobs to free house elves. And in doing so, Dumbledore has accepted the influence of Hermione, which means that at another point in time, Hermione is more likely to accept influence from Professor Dumbledore. Hermione and Dumbledore are modeling a relationship of mutual trust. They're modeling relational power. I want to offer my heartfelt thanks to Camp UU Hogwarts for helping me to reconnect to the magical power of relational power. See, the Camp UU Hogwarts professors, the adults, 
They empower the UU High School youth who serve as the prefects at the camp. And the senior prefects, they settle disputes. They come up with much of the programming for the camp. They really run the show in a lot of ways. And these four individuals I'll name because they have worked so hard. Nico, Lucian, Eliza, and Ashani. If any of you are here, thank you. I had a chance to visit briefly at Camp Hogwarts this week, and I got to see relational power in action. Just as at the real Hogwarts in the Harry Potter books, our Camp Hogwarts is a place where adults who could be using positional power because they're working with younger people, they instead listen to younger people, and they believe in them, they trust them, and they trust them to develop over the course of that week their own powers using exercises such as learning strategy through wizarding chess or developing their intuition through divination classes. I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit that it was startling for me to see that and see how well it was going here at Camp Hogwarts. I love Harry Potter, um, but my feelings about Harry Potter had devolved a little bit in the 22 years since I had first read a Harry Potter book, and I had been leaning a little too heavily on the side of positional power myself. So when the first Harry Potter book came out, I was 22 years old, I was a newlywed and a beginning law student, and I had the time to devour that whole book, you know, in a night or a weekend. I completely empathized with Harry and Ron and Hermione. I thought, well, of course, these are the people who obviously are going to defeat Voldemort, who else? And I wondered why the adults in the story, who I wasn't really, I wasn't really identifying as an adult yet, particularly those bumblers at the Ministry of Magic, why did those people keep getting in Harry's way? They just seemed to block him at every turn. But by the time the seventh book came out, I was a stressed-out mid-level associate at a law firm in my 30s, and I had a one-year-old. And true fact, I was teaching my one-year-old those baby signs, and so he would learn eat and milk and I taught him more. And as soon as I taught him more, I thought, look it, I'm not going to teach him snake and bear. Because what I think is going to be more helpful is to teach him stop. Stop. Stop was a heavily used sign in the house of Legault during poor Casper's early years. He still doesn't know the baby sign for snake. So now when I started to read Harry Potter books at that stage of my life, I worried about Harry and his friends. Bless their hearts. How are they going to make it through these challenges? I mean, they seem to have a mixed bag of courage and foolhardy. And it wasn't even that mixed a bag. I mean, it was, there was like a lot of foolhardy in that Gryffindor tribe. And I thought, why don't those adults at the Ministry of Magic do a better job of protecting these children and keeping them further away from the fray? By the time all those books were made into movies, and the last of the eight movies had come out, I had three kids and a job, and I was feeling real long on responsibility and real short on patience with children disobeying directives in the universal language. <laughs> and I dwelled on which, if any, Harry Potter books or movies were age-appropriate for each of my particular children. And I wondered secretly 
why doesn't Dumbledore use his power and authority to stop that Hogwarts student body from declaring themselves Dumbledore's army and leave the fighting and the decision-making for grown-ups? And I'm like, you, if you could see y'all's faces right now, it's just, it's just ice coming at me. It's dagger eyes right up here. This is, this is a hard place to be. Um, so yeah, at the rate I was going with these thoughts, I think that the Ministry of Magic would have taken me on and promoted me to middle management, like, just quick, maybe a couple weeks. Well, J.K. Rowling said that to her, the moral significance of the Harry Potter book seemed blindingly obvious. The key for her is the choice between what is easy and what is right. And she says, quote, because that's how tyranny is started with people being apathetic and people taking the easy route and suddenly finding themselves in deep trouble. After seeing Camp UU Hogwarts, I think that older people, including myself, take the easy route when we use positional power over younger people. Taking the time to build relationships with younger people and listening deeply to their thoughts ideas, and dreams, accepting their influence, and building trusting relationships, well, that's harder, and that takes more time and requires more effort on our part. But when we fall back, when we default to our positional power based on our age or our status, we're giving ground to tyranny by modeling it for our young. So I'll ask y'all to end today with me by joining me in an affirmation for the younger people who are here with us today. If you are here and younger than 18, please rise in body and spirit as you wish. Older persons who are seated, please repeat after me. We appreciate your gifts of prophecy. We affirm, trust, and empower you. We affirm, trust, and empower you. We welcome your presence and ideas. Now please join me in the words for extinguishing our chalice printed in your order of service. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Go forth. Use your power relationally. Invest in relationships with young people. Differentiate between what is right and what is easy. Amen and blessed be. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.